We have some exciting radio industry news. The commercial radio industry's new audience measurement system, Radio 360, goes live with the release of GFK's third metropolitan radio survey. Radio 360 will unlock deeper and more valuable insights to view digital opportunities, giving advertisers a first look at radio's rapidly growing streaming audiences across all platforms and devices. Radio 360 will also provide accurate and granular information on radio audience listening and behaviors anywhere, anytime. To hear more about the benefits, visit Commercial Radio and Audio's website. The Victorian government said it will cease virtually all metropolitan print newspaper advertising from next month in a multi-million dollar blow to publishers. Meanwhile, former Chet boss Justin Hind has revealed his next venture, Reunion. Both of these topics ahead of a chat with commercial radio and audio's measurement director Deb Hishon and ARN Media's chief executive Kieran Davis on the revamped total radio measurement system that is Radio 360. And they sit down with Casey Katz, marketing director of Untitled Group, all about the business of marketing indie music festivals these days. Welcome to the Umbrella Cast. I'm Damian Francis, and joining me for the news chat today, and I shouldn't be surprised, but I continually say he's still here, as well as editor <laughs> Shannon Malloy. Wouldn't want to be anywhere else. That's a lie, but I appreciate the sentiment anyway, Shannon. How are you, mate? I'm well. How are you? I am getting there for a Wednesday where by the time this goes live, it'll be half a day to, before the Umbrella Finance Marketing Summit, yeah. which takes place tomorrow. Hopefully, we'll see you there. But if not, there will be, I'm sure, a fair bit of content fallout from that. Fallout's probably the wrong choice of words, but there will be a lot of great content coming from that. I don't think we've ever had so many brand marketers in one summit. So very exciting stuff. But Shannon, let's get into the first topic of the day and you you brought this story to light news came from the victorian premier's office yesterday that the state government will cease virtually all metropolitan print newspaper advertising from next month in a major commercial setback for mainly nine publishing and news corp australia uh, tv and digital will remain an important part of the government's advertising agenda that little bit was a quote that's what a government spokesperson said but Shannon you provided some of the monetary values in the story yesterday just how much of a big deal is this in your eyes well print advertising accounts for roughly about 14 percent of overall uh, Victorian government ad spend each year what that means in dollar values is sort of anywhere between 12 to 15 million depending on the overall spend it's not enough to to sink a big ship like News Corp or Nine Publishing, but it is quite a hit at a it's, time. It's enough to be an annoyance. It is an annoyance. Yeah, I, I'm. I would be annoyed. Uh, it's during a time when you know marketing budgets are stretched, when the mix of advertising is is very big. Uh, it, any dollar lost for newspaper proprietors is is not a great thing. Uh, it, it kind of came out of the blue as well. This is obviously unprecedented. No one has ever not advertised in a newspaper at a government level. These are, you know, when we talk about government advertising, it's campaigns for fire safety and bushfire preparedness. It's 
road safety stuff. It's talking about cost of living measures that the government's rolling out. Yeah, it's not just the election. No, stuff. no. These are you know these are public initiatives that that Victorians benefit from and should know about. So it's not just the monetary value. It's the implication that this kind of sends that that print advertising is not of value anymore. That's obviously not uh, a view shared by many people. The Herald Sun uh, is the most read newspaper in the country. Their digital uh, offering is one of the fastest growing. The Age, of course, is an iconic newspaper and, and their online offering is, uh, I think, was one of the first in, in Australia. Uh, Fairfax, as it was back then, um, kind of got onto the online bandwagon first. So this is a, a pretty big blow in a number of ways. I think Channel 9 is far better placed to handle this financially, given that they have free-to-air television and radio in Victoria. News Corp is much less uh, prepared to to grab some of that those lost dollars because uh, you know they've got Foxtel and that's about it. So and big so story. Those dollars will be spread elsewhere. I imagine not just so. Vanish. Uh, no, we think. Uh, so that's that's an interesting point, Shannon. I, you mentioned the you know that it's not just about election coverage, and I think that's probably the first thing that would come to mind mm. for a lot of people but being that there's so much prestige with the with the print media in particular this is an interesting story shannon are, are there any is there any sense that there's any sort of political motivation mm. or agenda behind so i've got to ask <laughs> that question look uh I, i've spoken to a number of people in recent days about this story on the left on the right independent media major media Everybody is kind of united on the fact that this was quite a shock. It was the last thing anyone expected and that it does feel a little bit like an FU, I don't know if I can swear on the podcast, a little bit like an FU to newspaper proprietors from the, the Daniel Andrews government. Obviously, in the lead up to the last election, News Corp was extremely critical of Daniel Andrews and Labor. Uh, they wrote... Uh, you know, an almost uncountable number of critical media stories and front pages. The Age, while far less uh, critical, did endorse Matthew Guy from the Liberals in the lead up to to election day. Uh, is this revenge? I'm not sure. Michael Miller, the managing director of News Corp Australia, this morning came out and said that this does feel like an act of spite against organisations that work to hold uh, governments to account. Uh, yeah, a lot of people I'm talking to say that that this does feel odd and unusual and this is uncharted territory now we'll move on in a second but i'll, I'll end this part of the discussion with uh, a look at some of the other states in terms of obviously mm. on the eastern seaboard the the big uh, spenders new south wales and queensland is there any sign at the moment shannon that they're going to follow suit that's that's been another interesting point of conversation uh, that I've had in recent, uh, you know, in the past sort of thirty six hours or however long it's been now. I've lost track of all time. Uh, that you know, will this start a fall of dominoes? Every state and territory in the country, bar Tasmania, is a Labor state. Uh, Labor has, uh, it's fair to say, had a problematic relationship with with News Corporation in particular, uh, and and maybe this will lead to a rethinking of of ad spends of public money. Uh, I think it, whether or not that happens remains to be seen. Uh, no one's really saying much at the moment about their intentions at a, at a government level, but 
New South Wales has just won an election, so they've got a full term ahead of them. Maybe it is worth rolling the dice on on pissing off one of the big, well, the biggest media organisation in the country. Queensland has an election coming up early next year. They might not be quite as uh, as ballsy, so we'll see. Coming up next, we're going to talk about the latest indie agency to hit the market. Veteran creative and former Chip Network boss Justin Hind has ended months of speculation by finally detailing his next move. Three months after abruptly exiting the Clemenger Group agency, Hind has unveiled his new venture, Reunion, what he calls a data-led audience-first independent. And he has partners. Shannon, tell us about this one which broke Monday morning. What I really liked about this news first of is uh, is the name of the agency. Reunion literally marks a reunion of uh, of three creatives who've worked together in the past. Um, uh, Justin and his wife Dominique uh, and, and business partner are with. Uh, they sold to Dentsu and, and were absorbed into that business. And then at the same time, Stephen Knowles uh, sold one of his uh, ventures uh, to the Dentsu group as well. So the three of them kind of cross paths, worked together on multiple projects, really enjoyed that. And it's at that point that this idea for reunion was kind of born. Uh, they kind of went off and, and did their own things in various capacities and have now reunited. Uh, it's it's quite a big deal. The three of them are extremely well respected. They have fantastic runs on the board. Uh, and I think it's fair to say that um, that this move kind of, you know, sent shockwaves through various sectors of, of Adland and, you know, good competition is healthy for everybody. I'll tell you what, I've never seen a bigger build up and, and Justin, mm. I think more than anything else has to be congratulated on, on this one. The amount of LinkedIn posts that he was sharing prior to the launch about the office fit out <laughs> had so many people talking about how big this agency was going to be, uh, what foundation clients there were, when it was going to launch. There was mm. just so much talk about Newco, uh, essentially, as I believe it was sort of being touted yeah. um, at that stage. But I'll, I'll tell you what, the, the interesting thing is, for me, I'm not sure we've gotten as many answers as we wanted from this launch. If, if you have a, a look at what we've learned, um, we still don't really know how many people are going to be there, you know, once the dust has, has settled. We know the office is, is relatively big, so you assume there'll be a, a fair few hires. Not sure about client names uh, yet. And, you know, thinking back to when Howitzen and Company, uh, back in the day, Howitzen and White launched, there was always that big uh, sort of question mark about the client, which was eventually, you know, the big client of launch uh, named as Allianz. So still sort of waiting uh, for that one uh, as well. Really interesting to see how they've positioned the leaders as well, uh, Steve and Justin as the co-CEOs. But talking to a lot of people in the market, a lot of them saying, do not underestimate uh, Dominique. She's brilliant brains Mm. of of the industry and and will be a driving force in, in this trio. But I also can't get past the, the, the promotional shots of, of the trio of them uh, to, to riff off Adam Ferrier and Brent Smart's black T-shirt podcast. There they all are in, in the black T-shirt. So yep. here's, the, here's the creative agency uh, trying to push the, the wares and the creds. It is an interesting one, uh, like you say, but I think there's still a, a fair few questions 
yet. Yeah, definitely. It. And I, you know, I think if if we've learned nothing in recent months uh, from Justin, it's that he loves a, a teaser campaign. So I'm sure we'll learn bits and pieces uh, quite slowly. They are in advanced stages of recruiting some some senior names. We're told, and I'm sure we'll we'll hear about those soon as well as foundation clients. Absolutely. Coming up after the break, commercial radio and audio's measurement director, Deb Hishon, and ARN Media's chief executive, Kieran Davis, who's also CRA's chair on Radio 360. A big day for you both, I'm sure. Kieran Davis, CEO and MD of ARN, but also the chairman of Commercial Radio Australia, and Deb Hishon, the media measurement director at GFK. Thanks, both so much for your time on uh, again, yeah. What I what I imagine is a very busy day and a very momentous day. Thanks, uh, Shannon. Good to see you. Um, and yes, a, um, a day that's been long in the planning, um, as Deb will know well. That uh, this this uh, exercise and transformation probably started about four and a half, nearly five years ago, I'd say. Um, and between the need to to get it right, um, to to sort of break the barriers of of what's been done for the first time anywhere in the world, COVID, all those sort of scenarios, uh, we're finally here today. But it is a very exciting change. As we know, radio listening has evolved. Um, the more digital listening particularly coming on board. And we now have a new measurement system that will capture all the ways people are listening. Um, it's a hybrid methodology. It involves surveys that we've done before, a lot more of them being online. We have streaming data from, from million sources of, um, of data to come through which is better captures the listening on every platform uh, and will eventually and does provide much more granular data for media agencies to that, that they want day in, day out. Um, I'm sure like Deb, um, today has been uh, reinforcing to everybody that this is a journey that we're on. Um, I think we have learned from uh, what Outdoor did when they launched the measurement system and, and sort of, you know, there's now calls for it to be updated and it was kind of a, a there you go scenario. We've also learned from TV, who to some extent have, haven't delivered and, and overpromised uh, what they were going to provide. This is the start of a journey for us. Um, it provides new streaming data. And I think more importantly, it's it's the first in a number of things that we'll be doing over the next two or three years, which will involve broader audio platforms. And really, at the end of the day, it's about driving more revenue into radio operators and, and audio operators for, for, for radio and podcasting that we do. So um, it's about driving more revenue. And I think we've made huge progress today with more to come. Deb, it is, it is a, a big uh, change in many regards, and it is, uh, as Kieran said, four and a half years in the making. What kind of work was involved in getting us to where we are today? Wow, yeah, it's been, it's been a journey already and, and more to come, uh, as Kieran touched on. We started the project with CRA a few years ago when we launched our measurement innovation program. Uh, where we looked at all different audience measurement tools around the world and and what we could bring into the Australian market to evolve and create a more robust and, and credible system. Um, and we, we did the big super pilot in 2019 where we trialled the wearable metres and, and app metres and diary filling in and, and capturing streaming data. And all of that highlighted the patterns of listening are remarkably similar uh, we could bring different audience measurement tools together to create this hybrid methodology system that we're that we're now launching to market and bring the best of all the different ways of capturing audiences uh, and the wealth of data from source from live from the radio stations to create a, a hybrid system that um, creates more robust and um, 
you know, a system that's more, people have more confidence in. I guess, Kieran, from the, you know, you're in the business, you're uh, at the top of the business. What, what are you hoping that this model gives, uh, I guess, the people that you're selling advertising to? Is this, is this mostly about confidence in the numbers that they're seeing? Oh, no, I think it's more than that. I mean, certainly that's a very, very large part of it um, because, you know, radio diary measurement has come under some criticism over the last number of years, particularly as new digital formats have come through. So uh, it's a part about providing um, that level of, of credibility. But very definitely we saw during COVID um, that that people sought out the radio content that we provided and, and increasingly that was on digital platforms, be it desktops, but particularly on smart speakers and things like that. So what we have done today is provide confidence that that people are still engaged and remain engaged with, with, with Australian radio. You know, we had a record number of Australians listening to commercial radio released today. It's up to nearly 12 point, over 12.2 million. Um, that's that's 3.2 million Australians streaming, uh, and 3.2 of, sorry, of that of streaming radio, every commercial radio every week. Um, so yes, it's about credibility, but also then I think if you look at where we can move with this, it's about being able to provide uh, in a digital world sort of real-time data and real-time listening for agencies to have confidence in, in, in what they're booking with us. And, you know, we can start looking at event-driven uh, radio programming now. Um, uh, I think down the road, as we look to provide greater granularity on targeting, uh, we're now competing not just for... Uh, that's seven eight percent of advertising that radio normally gets, but actually targeting in the the, the more global um, digital streaming platforms and 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 social media platforms that are, in my view, getting an unfair share of of that digital revenue. Yeah, Deb, talk to me about the uh, the wearable element of this. How do these devices work that you've now got out in market on on real life people? Yeah, yeah. So look, it's it's a uh, it takes the form of a watch. Uh, we've got a, a panel of 2,000 consumers uh, across the five capital cities. Uh, and the media watch works on a sound matching algorithm process. So while the respondent is wearing the meter, it's capturing ambient sound, it's digitising it and storing it, uh, it's encrypting it so it can't be re-listened to in an, an audible form. Uh, and at the end of each day, when the user docks the watch on the docking station, that information is downloaded to GFK. So while our respondents are wearing the meter uh, throughout their daily activities, we're also capturing at every uh, capital city all of the radio broadcast. So when the data comes down to GFK, we take the data from our sound recordings and then we run through a process of sound matching. Uh, and that enables us to, one, capture the station that the respondent is listening to, but also the platform they're listening to it um, on because we can tell by um, transmission lag what platform they're consuming the, the um, station on, whether it be AM, FM, DAB Plus or streaming. Um, yeah. Look, the watches are a very technical piece of equipment. Um, it's got a heat and motion sensor in there, so we know that the watch is being worn. So it, you know, it can't be left sitting next to a radio or um, and not worn. And we have an extensive panel management quality control system where we're in constant contact with our respondents across the country. And the the diary or, or I guess survey part of of this has also uh, shifted, right? Like you're doing much more online now and and far less in the, the sort of old, olden days paper form? Yeah, look, so uh, over the sort of the course of the last six to nine months, we've been shifting from that 
80% face-to-face proportion to 80% online. So they're still completing the, the diary, but it's now in a digitised space. So on a, on a phone, on a um, PC tablet um, or, or, their, or their laptop, etc. cetera. Uh, but we are still doing 20% face-to-face um, and we're doing that so we're making sure that we're giving everybody an equal opportunity to, to participate because uh, not everybody's online just yet. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Kieran, you you stra- straddle both uh, sides of this fence uh, as as the CRA chair and and also um, someone who's in the, the radio landscape. What was the what was the industry's response to these proposed changes? You know, back when the conversations were first happening, were were radio networks kind of keen for change, or were they a little bit nervous about what this might mean for you know Survey Day in particular? Oh, like when you change the measurement system where you looked at it, of course, there's nervousness around it. But I, I think to be fair to um, to all radio operators, you know, we're quite mature in how we approach these things. We realize that uh, inherently we know we've got a great product. We know that audiences are listening to it. Um, but but the world outside has changed a bit and, and media planning and buying has changed a bit. And we have responsibility to change with that as well. Um I think we were very, very cognizant of the fact that we wanted to make sure that the confidence in in what we have been doing up to now remained and and grew further. And I I think we've ticked that today. Um, But, you know, as I said before, we we know that people are consuming audio in different ways on different digital devices. And, and, you know, when you see statistics like the fact that that people are listening to commercial radio in a digital environment seven times more than they are free music streaming service, then then really where we set our minds to was what do we have to deliver that's going to drive more revenue into our into our medium and, and you know I think we're a long way down the road now the streaming side of it is is fascinating because today you know there's no major change in the overall numbers the streaming part has always been a part of of the data that GFK has released what you've done though is break it out and and show how many people are streaming and and it's incredible numbers in many cases it's it's pretty phenomenal to show how popular that uh, that medium is. Well, you know, twenty six percent of of listeners stream commercial radio. You know that yeah. that that's that, that's that's a very big number, um, and it's it's a number that I think we can try and monetize more effectively by providing more rich data to to our client partners, and and that's something that we'll all be working on. Um, but it, it is a very strong number, and you know, even during COVID, we you know we were releasing streaming data, and our competitors were uh, at ARN. We were releasing streaming data. Our competitors were doing it, but the industry needed to see it from an independent source, and and GFK have started to provide that today. That's only going to grow as as digital listing and proliferation continues to increase. Um, and and you know we're all going to get better at, at driving first party data, um, which you know will will also see um, much better profiling and targeting for, for agencies as well. So I, I think it's incredibly, um, um, it's, it's an incredible milestone today because we're, we're enhancing what we've done, we're providing what the market wants, yet we're still yeah, very cognizant of, of the great product that we have that people are engaged with day in, day out. Yeah. I'm sure you've both been busy uh, doing interviews and doing briefings and and talking to uh, to people right across the landscape. It's obviously uh, it's day one, but what is the response from uh, from those you're talking to about the numbers today, about how it's presented? Uh, yeah, what are you hearing on the ground? Uh, I'll, I'll jump in first, Deb. I, sure. I think what what I've seen is uh, I think CRA did a very good job in the run up to today um, in terms of briefing agencies. Um, 
I don't know how many uh, interviews Ford and, and Joe Dick have done and, and presentations they've done over the last two or three weeks. So the agency market was certainly well informed of what was coming. Uh, we've received all the accreditation, the rollout of the measurement tools and the engagement tools that the agencies have has been very, very strong. So the market was ready for it. Uh, and that's one tick. I think we also had highlighted to the market what was coming and, and what wasn't coming. And we've identified a time frame upon which it's going to be improved on. So uh, I certainly haven't heard anything negative at all today from 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 anybody at all. And, and that's um, in our industry, that's pretty remarkable. <laughs> yeah, look, I'll, I'll talk I'm on the ground today in Melbourne, um, visiting all the, the advertising agencies. We've done four big presentations, great turnout, really positive in um just in the fact that the system's evolving, that they can now see a greater insight into the digital audiences. Uh, yeah, so it's, it's been positive. Uh, and, you know, they're itching to get back to their desks to see what the numbers are doing now. They, then, they know it's all live and they can get in there. Survey day is always a fun day. Uh, I guess just finally, uh, Kieran, you mentioned at the start that, you know, this is the beginning of a journey. What's, what's coming? What improvements uh, are on the horizon? Do we know yet what the evolution of, of Radio 360 might be? Yeah, we, we have a fair idea. I mean, certainly the unique identifiers will, will be coming in later on. Uh, I think the, the most imminent thing, which, you know, no time frame, but so 2024 will be the ingestion of podcast listening data. Um, and, you know, from our perspective, uh, you know, we have seen a great uptake of podcasting. I think the radio industry in Australia has led the way across the world with the launch of things like the Podcast Ranker. Um, I think we're all doing a very, very good job of integrating podcast content into our broadcast content and, and vice versa. And what we've very definitely seen is that the, the advent of podcast listening is complementary to radio listening. It hasn't cannibalized in any way because people are listening to podcasts at a different time in a different environment. Um, and, and, you know, that leads to other um, commercial opportunities for around branding as opposed to the traditional radio, you know, call to action type messaging. So from that perspective, that's something that we're working very hard on to make sure that we are we're, we're grabbing that slice of the podcast market because I, I think radio operators have led the way on that. And, and we, we certainly think there's a real opportunity there. Incredible. Well, uh, exciting times, but also busy times uh, for both of you. So we'll let you go. But thanks so much for, for joining us to take us through uh, this very uh, busy time. A really interesting conversation there. Up next is a sit down with Casey Katz, Director of Marketing and Customer Journey at Untitled Group about the indie music festival business. Casey Katz is the Director of Marketing and Customer Journey at Untitled Group, who in a very short period of time have gone from running nightclub events to being one of the largest independent music uh, events and festival promoters in the country. They run uh, major festivals like Wildlands, Sun Cycle, For the Love, uh, bringing in tens of thousands of punters a year. Um, Casey, we've just emerged from a pretty interesting period in COVID and the aftermath of COVID. How did you guys fare during that period? Yeah, so as you can understand, during that period, it was um, very difficult for us. Um, in a time where it was literally banned to do what we do, run music events and music events, um, instead of just, uh, you know, like a lot of our competitors at the time, they let staff go, they made a lot of redundancies as they had to in that period. 
we battened down the hatches, we kept all of our staff, we retained everybody, and we worked really hard on future planning, strategizing, ideation, so that by the time we came out of lockdown, um, we were ready to run events again um, and hit the ground sprinting. Literally, we went from seven employees in January 2021 to now having 65 employees. Wow. Um, yeah, huge growth. So we really did come out of the market strong with so many shows. Um, whereas, like I said, yeah, a lot of our competitors kept it pretty risk-free. Um, they laid low. Um, so they probably laid off a lot of staff. So we were really fortunate in the fact that we were able to retain our staff and we came out really strong. We, um, we even came up with a new concept called Beyond the City. So while we couldn't run Beyond the Valley, which is our major music festival, camping music festival that runs over the New Year's period, um, camping festivals, in short, essentially, weren't, we weren't able to run them for many different reasons. So we thought, why not we come out with the idea of Beyond the City? So we brought Beyond the Valley to the city. Um, it was at City Mind Music Bowl. And we brought, um, you know, this, all of the artists that we know and love. We created unique stage designs and we brought our production and things like that to the city to keep our brand alive. Um, so we were able to gain new customers that were younger. Um, so we were able to stay relevant and in touch with our audience. So by the time the Beyond the Valley did come back um, to what it's known for now, we were in a really good position in the market. Did you find post-COVID and, and in the sort of recovery that we're still in now that there was a lot of pent-up demand? Did you find that that punters came back, that, that audiences were really keen to, to re-engage with the festival model? Yeah, definitely. As soon as we came out of COVID, we saw huge growth. We saw ticket sales were at an all-time high. People were just dying to go back to music festivals and events. Um, but we definitely did see that taper off a few months later. Um, and we're still seeing that flow and effect now. And I think even outside of COVID, as we're all aware, you know, inflation's gone up, the cost of living's gone up. So that's been a really big challenge for us um, where music events are, you know, some would argue that they are essential, um, but mostly you'd say that's entertainment. So it's usually one of the first things that people cut back on in their own spending money. So that's been a really big change. Um, but definitely as soon as we came out of COVID, it was... It was, yeah, the demand was huge. It was so exciting to see. I can imagine. Uh, we have seen a few festivals in recent times either fold or go on hold. I guess, does that speak kind of generally to the to the challenging conditions that, that you can face in this very competitive space? Definitely. I mean, I can't speak for those, um, those other festivals and events, but, you know, just from seeing their cancellation statements and their, you know, their PR statements that have come out saying why they've taken the break. And it's often because they are struggling with, um, you know, the increased cost of putting on events, um, the difficulty to bring artists as well from overseas to Australia. Um, but we're finding creative ways on how we can cut through that and we're pushing ahead as normal. Um, there's no denying it's not challenging. And we're really finding, we're trying to find a middle ground with um, things like ticket prices. So in the, you know, with all of our costs going up, things like ticket prices do naturally have to go up to make it viable for us to put on the events. But our customers are our number one priority. They're, they're at the forefront of, you know, a lot of our decisions and we don't want to put them in a negative position or have a you know bad taste in their mouth where they feel like we've potentially gone up too high in ticket price. So it's always just trying to find that balance. Yeah, it sounds like you guys are doing really well, but but it is a very uh, competitive and, and at times I'm sure cutthroat space that you're in. What are some of the challenges that uh, Untitled Group 
faces in putting on events like this? Yeah, like I said, like you've just said, actually, um, it is a very competitive space, especially here in Victoria. There's new events popping up all the time. It's a very flooded market. But there's, way, there's, there's ways that we've um, tried to combat with trying to stay relevant um, and stand out in that congested market. So from a marketing point of view, we are always trying to be industry leaders and innovators with our marketing campaigns. Um, it's number one priority for us and my team. So whether it's coming up with new sales strategies or push, pushing creative boundaries on our video content or our graphic design content, we're always trying to stay at the forefront and be and leaders to stand out in that crowd. Um, so for our recent Beyond the Valley campaign, which was the first Beyond the Valley since coming out of COVID, um, in a world where some festivals weren't coming back and people were asking the question about us, about whether we would be coming back, my team came up with this heartbeat concept for our teaser campaign. So it depicted the festival's revival after two dormant years. Um, so we had a visual rep- representation of a beating object um, combined with the sound of a heartbeat. Um, which really struck a chord with our audience and ignited excitement around the campaign beginning and BTV coming back alive again. You know, it's things like that that we've um, made sure to keep um, on top of um, and come up with new ideas so that we can stand out in that congested market. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, What what kind of examples of, uh, I guess, marketing initiatives uh, are you doing to, to reach your audience? Yeah, so stand out to stand out in the crowd of this congested market. Gone are the times where you can put a band on a stage um, and sell thousands of tickets. People are expecting so much more in you know in what they're paying for in the value of money when they're paying you know one, two, three, four hundred dollars for a ticket. Um, so what we've been um, working really hard on is creating experiential brands. So having great brand identities um, for each of our festivals. So Great Bun Gathering is a music and wine pairing. And then Wildlands is about an escapism from the city into the wild. And these are all, all things that are evident throughout our online creative all the way through until um, on site. So it's things like that that help us cut through. And then from a bookings point of view, uh, the booking department are always keeping their finger on the pulse of what artists are hot right now um, or who would be a standout act. So that was like us bringing Nelly Furtado to Beyond the Valley. We literally brought her, brought her out of retirement to play Beyond the Valley and that was iconic. So that made our marketing campaigns very easy, as you can imagine, with an artist like that. So we're always trying to think of um, what kind of artists can stand out in the crowd um, in a congested market. Yeah, we've um, come up with things like the podcast stage at Beyond the Valley. So we're having, you know, podcasts on the rise. Like, you know, here we are talking on a podcast. Um, so we had a podcast stage purely about podcasters and bringing them to Beyond the Valley to talk on specific topics. So that was a new initiative and idea um, and also having hosts. So Grapevine Gathering last year, we had the Inspired Unemployed hosting our Grapevine. Um, that was a really good way to connect with the youth. They're so relevant right now. Um, so it's all things like that that we work really hard on to, you know, stand out from stand out from the crowd um, and they all add to our unique selling proposition as well. Yeah. I personally have probably aged out of the festival uh, circuit. I, I prefer a night on the couch, but is there a broad audience that you're reaching or is it typically younger people? It is typically younger people. Um, depends on which festival or tour or event that we're putting on. It is typically 18 to 24-year-olds. That's our main target market. But different festivals and different tours and different artists do um, pull a different um, different demographic. Um, like Grapevine Gathering, you've got a little bit of an older crowd that love to come and get wine drunk and dance to their favourite artists. 
<laughs> but yeah, I think it's definitely the music industry as a whole is definitely very niche compared to other services and products out there. Yeah. I guess it, it, because of that, what type of media channels do you use to reach your audience? Is it predominantly social media or is it a mix of, of, of mediums? Yeah, predominantly social media. We spend about 90% of our budget on social media. Um, that's everything from Meta to Instagram to TikTok, SoundCloud, YouTube, every, you know, name it. And we we have used it before. But we also do other forms of channels, so out of home. So we do a lot of street poster campaigns, which is pretty common in the music industry. We have doubled a little bit in digital billboards. Um, we do a little bit of radio. So, again, it really depends on um, the festival or the event, um, what's the audience we're trying to reach, um, what are the numbers we're trying to reach as well. Um, so if it's a smaller scale event, we will, you know, tailor it more so onto, onto social media and digital marketing. Um, but as we, you know, grow, we're trying to get the numbers we're trying to get, say, with the Beyond the Valley, we do expand our marketing channels to try and reach everybody and make sure there's, you know, there's no stone unturned. And if you turn the corner, you're seen or hearing about Beyond the Valley. Amazing. I guess just finally, you know, we're halfway through the year, which is terrifying in itself, but what's the outlook for you guys? Are you kind of looking to expand or, or evolve? What's, uh, what's on the horizon? Yeah, so we're all working really hard right now to prepare our um, campaigns for all of our major music festivals. Um, we are looking to expand Beyond the Valley. Um, so last year we did grow um, from, the year, from years previously as so we moved to a new site. So it meant that we were able to grow our audience um, and we'll continue to keep growing Beyond the Valley as a brand and look at expanding our audience, um, our target market, target market around Australia and also international. So Beyond the Valley will always be um, in Victoria and it'll be a festival that you want to travel to. So it'll be about finding those, um, the new audiences, whether it's around the country or international. Amazing. Maybe I will come and get uh, wine drunk at, uh, <laughs> at the Grapevine one. Casey, thank you so much for your time and uh, congratulations on, on um, such a successful performance. Thank you so much. It was great to chat with you. All right, that is all we had time for for today. Thank you so much for listening to the Mumbrella Cast. Please do throw us a follow or subscribe. A big thank you to Deb and Kieran and Casey for joining us on the Mumbrella Cast. And certainly not least, partner in crime, Shannon Malloy. Thank you for coming on board again. Thank you. Now, you're going to be off for the next couple of weeks. No one be shocked by this. Uh, because this is planned it and is you planned. will be back we think we think yeah i'm uh, i'm off to trek kokoda uh with not quite as much physical preparation as i should have put in so i, I may see you again in two weeks or uh, or watch this space for the next editor of mumbrella i don't know what you're talking about shannon you are a <laughs> specimen of health oh, it's not um, true. and please come back <laughs> we, we do really need you here <laughs> Uh, a big thanks as well to Darcy Song for producing this episode. We will see you next week. Yeah.